12-step programs, Alcoholics Anonymous, the official birth date is June 10, 1935. Well, they checked the AMA records. And the convention, Dr. Bob's last drink could not have been June 10th. It was probably more like June 17th. Because, you know, based on the timeline of when the convention occurred. And that's the point. I got abstinence somewhere in Paris in the fall. It may have been September, it may have been October 1st. I don't know. And I didn't care because I didn't think I was establishing my abstinence state, you know, or I'm, oh, someday I'm going to be a circuit speaker for OA and I'm going to, you know. They didn't think they were founding a movement. They didn't think they were founding the fellowship of AA. There was no AA. They both had been given spiritual instruction in the Oxford groups. There was no AA. They weren't thinking that this is going to be the founding date of AA and Dr. Bob's last drink. They had no idea. They were two helpless, terrified, scared drunks. And let me put it in a historical perspective for you. It's a little bit like penicillin. Actually, it's kind of very coincidentally coeval or diachronically parallel to penicillin. Penicillin was discovered by this guy named Fleming, who basically just discovered it, kind of like Frank Bookman discovered the Oxford group, or started it. And then it was kind of perfected by other people, and by the time World War II came around in the 40s, it had been mass-produced so that it could save life lives and they called it a miracle drug because before penicillin if you had septicemia blood poisoning or uh, low bar pneumonia you know or a zillion other diseases you died you died end of story you know well you know you might make it through the night uh, mother but you know get the kids prepared for tomorrow morning you probably won't make it through the morning after penicillin you might live so what do they call it? The miracle drug. The antibiotics, starting with penicillin, there were other ones that came afterwards, of course, but they were called miracle drugs because before antibiotics, you, you died. After antibiotics, you could live. And it was started somewhere in the 20s, perfected in the 30s, and by the 40s, it was out into the mass market, distributed. Alcoholics Anonymous. Started by this Lutheran minister named Frank Bookman, early, like 1908, somewhere around then. I think he'd sobered up his first drunk, a guy named William Guillaume, whose nickname was Bill Pickle. That's where the expression comes from. He got pickled, you know. He was, he was sobered up uh, early on. What the heck is this? Oh, okay. And uh, he started this Oxford group movement, which I'm going to talk about a little bit. And then Bill and Bob are clinging to each other, two helpless, terrified drunks who'd been attending a few Oxford meetings, Oxford group meetings back in, in June of 1935. And they, that's all they were, is terrified drunks. They, did not, they weren't keeping track of the dates. That's my point. So the point is that the drunks may have got their own birth date of their fellowship screwed up. They also checked the big book. And in the... Uh, I did bring my big print book, thank God. In the back, of course, is the famous thing in the spiritual appendix, which says that uh, there's something that will keep you in everlasting ignorance, and that is contempt prior to investigation, right? Has everybody heard that famous quote? It's in our book on page, well, I have a fourth edition here. I think it's on page 570. I think this is a fourth edition. 
third edition. I'm sorry, maybe in a different page in the fourth edition, but it's a 567 in the fourth. Which page? 567, At the end of it, there's a quote. There, and it's italicized. There's a principle which is a bar against all information, which is a proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That's contempt prior to investigation, attributed to William Spencer. Well, the boys in the A history group did research. They went through all of William Spencer's, right, Herbert Spencer's writings. They couldn't find it. They actually think it was William Paley, a British theologian, who said it. So there's a misquote in the big book. And our own birthday screwed up. We don't you know the, the drunks can't even get their own birthday right. Why? Because nobody was establishing an organized religion or, you know, they're just helpless, terrified people trying to survive. And the point is before nineteen forty or whatever, if you got blood poisoning you died. After nineteen forty, penicillin's out into the marketplace you can live. Before nineteen thirty five you had alcoholism, you died. It's kind of like AIDS, right, in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. I remember this one guy in the program up in Marin. He was a good guy. He was a gay guy. He used to come to our meetings, and I, we hadn't seen him for a while, and he showed up, and he what's going, been going on with you? And he said, well, I, you know, I was diagnosed with AIDS, and uh, wow, what happened? Well, the doctor told me to go home and make, up, make out your will. That's what the doctor told him back in the 80s. That's what AIDS was like. You developed AIDS, you died. Now they can live. They have drugs. Alcoholism, 1935, before 1935, you had alcoholism, you die. Okay? Before Roseanne established our fellowship in the 60s, right? She was smart enough to say, hey, maybe this 12-step stuff will work for us, right? Before 1960, you had compulsive overeating. What are you going to do? You're going to go up to 300 pounds. You're going to die of a heart attack. I was talking to someone earlier and quite frankly, the number one health problem today in the United States of America is over, overeating. It's obesity. It's just like when the, when the alcoholic gets, dies in a car crash, he's stabbed in a bar fight, he, he, he dies in prison, he hangs himself in prison, or he's run over or killed in a car crash. The death certificate does not say alcoholism. It says car crash, gunshot wound, suicide. But his real malady is alcoholism. So in our society today, compulsive overeating or morbid obesity is the number one health problem. If the death certificate is going to say diabetes, stroke, uh, heart attack, you know, pulmonary embolism, uh, aortic aneurysm, it's going to say, you know, stress-related, uh, whatever it's going to say. Breast cancer. Yeah, it, but it's really compulsive overeating. People are not, they're slowly committing suicide with food. Okay? I had an anorexic sponsee, went down to 78 pounds, died in the hospital. She'd call in her food plan. See, this is why I really don't sponsor anorexics, because she's calling like two turnips and a carrot or something. I go, Margaret, don't you want to put a little protein in that food plan? So finally I had to go to my sponsor. I said, I don't get, what's this? And my sponsor, Tamara, looks at me and says, Roy, Margaret's anorexic. I mean, don't you understand that? You know, I said, you know, I just not, I had to fire her because I knew I couldn't help her. I couldn't, couldn't call her on her stuff. That's why I don't sponsor women today. I mean, 
it's not the women's fault. It's my problem, you know. If they're really super good looking, I always got a, a hidden agenda going on. And even if they're, I'm not attracted to them for whatever reason, I'm too nice to them. I can't pull their covers. You know, I don't get the feminine psychology. I'm too, too gentle with them. They need a, another woman that can see through their BS and pull their covers. That's why I don't sponsor women. I'm too kind to them. Another woman will say, now look, you know, blah, 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 blah. you know what you're doing. See, I can't do that. See, just like I couldn't figure out the anorexic. I'm not an anorexic. So, um, I am an exercise bulimic though. But, um, the bottom line is that this program is miraculous. Like penicillin before 1935, you had one of these character disorders called the addictions. You died. Okay? And, and they just adopted the 12 steps for compulsive reading in the 60s and for gambling and for cocaine and for heroin and for sex and love addiction and for compulsive debting. But the bottom line is the, the addictions, and this is in that book by, what's his name, F. Scott Peck Fitzgerald? I don't know. I can never get his name right. What's his guy's name? F yeah. There were, he's, he's a psychiatrist. He worked in addiction for the military for a long time. And he says the addictions fall into the realm of character disorders because the neurotic always knows he's sick. He's, he's, he likes going to therapy. You know, Woody Allen's the famous comic example. He's always talking about he's going to therapy. The character disorder of the addiction, they're in denial. They pretend they don't have the problem. They, they, don't, they don't want to confront the problem. They don't want to deal with the problem. And all these addictions fall into the realm, psychiatrically speaking, as character disorders. But we're not a therapeutic psychiatric group. We say, and this is my position too, because it's the official position, this is a spiritual malady. Okay, if I don't get enough out of life and enough peace and serenity uh, out of myself, I'm going to turn to half a gallon of Haagen Dazs. It's that simple. It's a spiritual malady, and I need to get spiritually connected. <laughs> One of our members at breakfast was, uh, came up to me and said, what's the name of that book by Sam Shoemaker again? Twice Born Ministers. And I mentioned another book, Twice Born Men, by a guy named Begby, B-E-G-B-Y. And she said, oh, you recommend those two books? I said, no, I don't. I like the thing that J.S. pulled out of that one thing about the four obstacles that blocked me to God because I thought that was really important. But I don't recommend all this 12-step history stuff because that's not what keeps me abstinent, okay? What keeps me abstinent, it might be of interest to you, and it's, it might help me understand what's going on here in this process a bit more. Maybe, I, maybe that does help me when I work with others. My knowledge of 12-step history does not keep me abstinent. What keeps me abstinent is my willingness to go to somebody I hate and ignore what they did to me and say, you know, I'm here to clean up my side of the street. I owe you an apology. Or how can I set this right? How can I make this amend? You know, I regret these ill feelings I held towards you. If you look in the book, it took me... I actually... I've read this many times, but, you know, sometimes I'll read something. I might even be a book study and be talking about it. And I really don't know what the hell it is I'm saying until I've actually internalized it. It's not an intellectual program. It's got to go not from here into the heart. You know, we speak the language of the heart. And um, 
It talks when you're going to make amends. It says on page 77, it is harder to go to an enemy than to a friend. But we find it much more beneficial to us. We go to him in a helpful and forgiving spirit. So that's the spirit I, I better have when I approach somebody to make the amend. If not, I maybe, I, I maybe, you know, I'd need to do a little bit more six, seven, and eight work. You know, pray for the willingness to forgive this person. We confess our former ill feeling and express, expressing our regret. It's on page 77 in this middle paragraph here. Okay, it's at the bottom there. We confess our former ill feeling. You know how this program started? This in OA and every other program in AA? It started with Frank Bookman saying, I've harbored ill feelings against you. I'm sorry. That was the original amend. That was the amend that started it all. He confessed his ill feelings and expressed regret. Because he felt... Oh, by the way, the 12-step programs started over food, a food issue. It, it wasn't how much, it, well, it was how much they were eating. It was also who's paying the tab. The whole program started when Frank Buchman, who was a Lutheran minister and felt he had the calling and he wanted to go out and convert people to his higher power, which is Christianity. Of course, we don't have... We don't sell one higher power fits all here. You get to choose your own. He felt he was going to be a Christian minister and it was his job to go out there and spread the good word. And one of the early things he did, he would go on missionary trips. He went to Germany and he saw some of these German Christian groups have the, I think they were Lutheran. He was a Lutheran. He was Pennsylvania Dutch, which is usually Swiss, Swiss German, German. But they were Lutherans. He was an American. He was born here. But he traveled to Germany and saw that the German Lutherans had started these youth hostels outside of slums. And they were trying to get like kids who had, came from alcoholic families or, you know, de deprived or poverty-stricken families. They try and get them into some Christian principles. They take them into these hostels, kind of, you know, a healthy life, maybe get them out of the slums, feed them decently, give them a little religious instruction, give them some uh, familial paternal guidance, you know. And he thought it was a great thing, this hostile movement. It's not hostile in the sense today where we travel around and stay in these hostels. I actually did that in Australia. I had a good time. I stayed at the hostel in Byron Bay. Um, the original hostels were kind of retreat centers, or what would you call them, boys' homes, something like that. You know what I'm saying? Where you try, wasn't there a famous guy that had a father, some Flanagan, or somebody had a boys' home? Yeah, right? They would try to get these kids out of unhealthy environments, get them into healthier environments, treat them decent, give them some decent food, give them some exercise, and give them some spiritual principles. Usually along whatever spiritual line. You know, I guess it was Father Flanagan, it must have been Catholic. The, the hostels in Germany were Lutheran. So Bookman comes back and decides, this is a great idea. I'm going to start a youth hostel outside of Philadelphia, get these kids out of the slums, get them out into the country, give them some spiritual principles. They're going to... And one of the things he uses to attract the kids was he'd feed them well, especially breakfast, you know, pancakes, stuff that we wouldn't consider too cool, you know, pancake syrup, a lot of bacon, you know. 
And he did. You know, these guys are like, their father's spending all the money on booze and he's not feeding the family. They're glad to get a decent meal. So he attracted and he had, I think he had two running at one time. He got two hostels organized. They were his babies, you know. Now, there was a board, a Lutheran Synod. There was a board of directors that was in charge, you know, because that's the way it goes in organized religion. Usually somebody's up at the top. We don't have that in 12-step programs, thank God. You know, the, the inmates are running the asylum here. But uh, there was an, a supervisory board of Lutherans. And they were, you know, they had a board of directors. I guess it was a nonprofit organization. Bookman was the CEO. He was running the things. And they decided there was a financial pullback, you know. And they decided we have to cut back on expenses for these youth hostels. And they decided the, they're spending too much money on food. And, you know, Bookman just absolutely went through ballistic on this. They were his babies, and, part, and the food was one way he would lure the people in, lure the kids in, the boys. And he thought this was right out of Oliver Twist, you know? You know no more parge for you, pal. He just was outraged. How could Christians do this? And he got into this big fight with the board of directors who controlled the purse strings and ran the operation. Or, you know, the ultimate power. He was the day-to-day -day guy. who, And they were his babies, you know. This is my hostel I started here, you know. My idea. Ego, right? He gets into it. And damn it, he cops a resentment. He resigns in a huff sends nasty letters to all the board members about how unchristian they are and how dare you, you know, this is right out of Oliver Twist, pisses off to England, or Europe at least, for some missionary work. And this resentment is driving him nuts, you see? And his family's like thinking, maybe this guy should be committed. He is just not, and he's over there trying to be a missionary, and he's gone to all these, you know, convocations and conventions and retreats, I guess, whatever they would call them in those days. And, you know, he's trying to be a missionary and he can't make one single convert. Not one single convert wants what he has. And he, this is pissing him off big time because that was his whole life, man. I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a big, I guess he wanted to be like a Billy Graham or something. He had some ego, you know, this guy. Actually, he really did. He was kind of megalomaniacal. That, that comes in later with why we had to leave the Oxford groups. And he finally, he's at a, a Kensington, England. I think it was Kensington or Kenilworth thing. I forget the name of it. It might be in here. Um, let me see if I can find this damn thing here. Oh, boy. He's in this um, place in England. Is this it? Yeah, I, I duplicated it. Um, he's in this place in England and he's listening to a Salvation Army speaker. This is from Jay Stennett's Spiritual History Workshop. And uh, this was Bookman. He started to, But before this happened... He was over in England, and he can't figure out why he can't make... There's Frank Bookman. He can't figure out why he can't get a, con a convert. And he's finally listening to a Salvation Army speaker. And I think it was a woman speaker. They, did, they figured out it was a lady speaker. And she's standing in front of a big cross. 
you know, we got the, the post and then you got the cross beam of a cross. You know, it's a crucifix. It was in the back. This Kenilworth or Kensington, I forget the name of it. It's probably in here somewhere. There it is. Keswick. Excuse me. Keswick, England. He stand, he's in Keswick, England. Can you, oh, we can't see this. Maybe we could dim the lights a little bit. Is it possible? And uh, does that help? Excuse me, I've got some phlegm issues here. If you hear me snorting, it's because I take some medicine and it's got a little bit of a side effect. Yeah. He's in Keswick, and they had this big spiritual retreat there every year, and they were like big main speaker guys, you know, the Billy Grahams of the day, you know. They had Dwight Moody and all these characters who were famous evangelists, you know. you got to realize, back in the 20s and 30s, people were much more religious, especially in this country. It really was a big deal what church you went to, whether you were Catholic or Protestant, God forbid Jewish. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it was a bigger deal. They had a religious section in the New York Times, People read Emmett Fox. Emmett Fox was, you know, who was a spiritual guy. And we got a computer guy here, which is always good. What are you trying to do? Uh, make it a big window. That's Full what I was screen. on. Full screen on view. On view. Zoom, maybe under Zoom. Full screen. Oh, full screen. Does that help? It does help. You did something. And then you can do the arrows here, like the arrows. Okay. All right. So he sees the salvation. Now there were the big speakers, and then there was like little side events going on. You know, like we're up here, Sherry's over there. You know, well, this lady Salvation Army speaker is in one of the smaller chapels. Not not a big thing, and she's speaking. And Frank Bookman's listening. He's kind of, he's still in his pissed off state. He can't make any converts. He's desperately trying to re-get his con conscious contact with his higher power. And suddenly, he had a spiritual experience. The eye of the cross beam, the, 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 the post, suddenly started coming out at him. And it's like the cross part disappeared or faded into the background. And suddenly, like the, the eye, the, the, and he, he, it was a message to him from his God, from his higher power. The problems... In me, it's not these guys who did this terrible Oliver Twist thing to the kids. It's not anybody else's problem. I'm the problem. Why I can't make the converts. He went home, prayed on it, and wrote the, the letter that started it all off, which just said, I've harbored ill feelings towards you. Forgive me. I think that's what it was. Yeah, it, it wasn't, I'm sorry. It was, I've harbored ill feelings for you. Forgive me. He realized that as a Christian, he could not afford to harbor resentment. Now, in our book, it tells us, with us, compulsive overeaters, this business of resentment is infinitely more grave. It's a life or death matter. For us to overeat is to die. Okay? So, here's a guy that wasn't even an addict, or an alcoholic, or a compulsive overeater. And it was killing him. A resentment was driving him nuts. You know, and he, and he was frustrating his entire life. But for us, this business of resentment is fatal, says our book. Because we're going to eat over it. If I hate you, I'm going to eat at you. It's that simple. So he realized the problem was him, and he made the men that started it all. And from this... Um, 
Ah, here's the first alcoholic that he ever got sober in the Oxford group. Where the hell is it? Uh, I passed it. There's Sam Shoemaker, by the way. That was Bill Wilson's real sponsor. Ebby was drinking by 1937, while the book was being written in 38, published in 39. Ebby was not Bill Wilson's, giving Bill Wilson spiritual instruction. Ebby was taking spiritual instruction from a bottle of Muscatel. This was Bill Wilson's real sponsor. He was uh, an Episcopal minister, and by, and coincidentally, or maybe not, is it odd or is it God, as my buddy Dan S. says, the church that he was the Episcopal minister of officially was the Cavalry Church in downtown Manhattan, which was a very high-tone Episcopal church that the Hazard family was a member of. Roland Hazard's the guy that went to Dr. Jung, and Jung says, you're going to die. Give it up, you know, go home, make out your will. Is there no hope, doctor? Well, there is a hope. There's once in a while, there's a spiritual experience. And uh, so Hazard went out to find a spiritual experience and he found there's the Calvary Church in Manhattan. Let's see, where the hell, uh, where the hell is the first? I missed that. There he is, William Guillaume. Um, the Oxford group, with Bookman makes the amend, he changes, okay? He, he changes by making that amend, writing that letter, I've harbored ill feelings against you, forgive me. He changes the I in himself. The next day, he makes his first convert. Okay? And that's how the Oxford group started. Okay? And then he went on. By the time he was appointed... Um, like the, I guess the chaplain at Penn State University, Penn State, the Nittany Lions up there, they had a reputation of, you know, if they're going to show up to a football game, half of them will be drunk. I mean, they were like the the clowns of the of the, of the American college. They were they were just this rollicking, raucous, you know, Animal House type campus. A lot of drunken. Now this was a big deal back in the early days of the century. People were Christians, you know. The YMCA is the Young Men's Christian Association. People were religious. Remember, prohibition passed right after the World War One. You know, in the twenties, this was a very, very different. Well, maybe it's not so different. A lot of people. Anyway, Bill uh, Bill Guillaume, Bill Pickle was a, was a local bootlegger who was selling moonshine to the students, and uh, and. Bookman got him into uh, a spiritual practice and s sobered him up. Um, this program is the original six-step program. It was not used by the Oxford groups. They had no steps in the Oxford groups. The alcoholic squadron of the Oxford groups used this, these six steps, which Bill basically expanded into our 12-step process. Okay? And you can see the kernel of our process in here. We got to hit bottom with the food, you know. We usually don't get here because we're on a, we're hop, skipping and jumping on a run. It's usually like, I can't stop eating. Like, I'm on my knees eating, I don't know, my 20th carob-colored granola bar of the day with six months of sobriety behind me and no abstinence. I'm, and my childhood disease, my first drug, remember, I was fat since the age of seven, I wasn't drunk till the age of, well, I couldn't even get it really till I was 16, but <laughs> food was my first drug. So here I am on my knees, 
saying, when I get back to Miami, I got to get to this OA thing. I, I'm, I'm beaten down by the food. I got to get honest with myself. I got to get honest with another, which means I make an inventory and a confession. Okay? You can see step four and five there. Make amends, six, seven, eight, nine. Help others without demand, that's 12. Pray to God as you understand Him. That's basically 3, 10, and 11. So you see they're out of order. And, the, and, um, and Bill wrote our book. This is from the Oxford group? This is the, the, well, these were, this is, now, let me get clear about this. I'm going to show you what was from the Oxford group. This was the six-step program that the alcoholics within the Oxford group were doing. And it's in, by the way, it's mentioned in our book, at least in the third edition. 263. 263. Yeah. Well, it, you know, they were, here's the point, and this is something I get into with the book thumpers all the time. Somebody was talking earlier about the Big Book Awakening and all that. Dan Sherman gave me a box of those. I'm a fellow traveler with that group. I sit in a meeting with Dan Sherman every Thursday. I call it the anal book study in Santa Monica. We go through the book paragraph by paragraph. But the truth of the matter is, and they don't like to admit it, because in my opinion, they kind of make this the higher power. And as Herb, how many of you heard of Herb K? Herb Kagan, right? Yeah. You know this stuff? He goes through the book. takes him a whole year usually to get through the book. He's a good guy. But as Sandy Beach, my favorite... A circuit speaker says, don't confuse the treasure map with the treasure. The treasure is your contact with your higher power. If you're on a treasure hunt, I can give you verbal instructions. You go 300 yards up, you go five paces to the right, you look where the palm tree throws its shadow, then walk 15 feet up from that, turn left two feet, and dig there. And if you can remember my instructions and keep it straight, maybe you get to the treasure. Now, don't you think it'd be better, though, if I wrote out a map and said you go 300 feet and they go up and I put, you know, northwest, south on it so you know where you are. And there's a landmark, the little church to the left, 300 feet to the right, and, I'm, and X marks the spot. Now, what's better, to have the verbal instructions or have it a written treasure map? You want the treasure map, right? But it's still not the treasure. It's the map, how to get to the treasure. See, now the book thumpers, they almost, they almost develop a neurotic religiosity about the book. They had a spiritual experience with this paragraph. I had a spiritual experience with God. Okay? The book is the map. It gives me a set of directions that if I do these things, I make contact. And that's the treasure. So before we had our book... They were using a word of mouth program, which is in your what's it in your fourth edition? On what page? You, you just mentioned it. Oh, 263 for the 263. I have a third edition. It's on 292 in the third edition, but 263 in the fourth edition. Probably most of you have the fourth edition. Um, this story tells the original six steps that Dr. Bob told uh, this gentleman. Now, this happens to be a man called Earl Treat, who was an early Akron AA member. See, I'm one of those guys that actually knows who the hell these people are. You know, the, the AA history website cat geeks, and you've never seen geeks till you've seen AA history geeks. You think Star Trek geeks are geeks. Mm -hmm. You should go to an 
archivist convention sometime. Oh, I got every second edition. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're anal about it. But this, I know that this is Earl Treat. He was an early guy. Good work to Steph with Bob. And he's got in his, it says, complete deflation, dependence, and guidance upon a higher power, moral inventory, confession, restitution, continue work with other alcoholics, other compulsive readers. The point is it was all verbal before they had the book. They were given verbal instructions to the treasure on the treasure hunt. Now we write a treasure map, but it's still not the treasure, it's the map. You dig it? The Oxford groupers did not have this six-step program. The, they didn't think drunks were that important. They'd been sobering up drunks since 1903. Bill Guillaume. The Oxford group had something else. This is a the Oxford group's steps. They didn't call them steps. But this is from, uh, I think it's from either what is the Oxford groups or one of their other early books. You can get some of these things in reprints from Hazelden. They're like 15 to 20 bucks. If it's but like I said, I don't recommend this. This is just history. It, it helps me understand this process, though. It really does. This is, you see, this is how they started. The sharing of our sins and temptations with another Christian life given to God and you sharing as witness to help others. See? Surrender. What was it? Surrender our life, past, present, and future to God's keeping and direction. You can see that in our 11th step. Restitution of all we have wronged. That's our men's steps right there. Listening to, accepting, relying on God's guidance and carrying it out in everything we do, great or small. See, that's our 10th and 11th step right there. Um, they also, yeah, they had this God as you understand him. Don't think AA came up with this, or OA. You know, Ebby, by the time, and one of the things I'm going to play for you today, and I hope you get a kick out of this, that's why I brought the speakers, is the original 12-step call. Anybody interested in hearing the original 12-step call? Yeah. And this, I learned a lot from this. See, the book thumpers don't want to listen to this. They only want to read the book. It's in the book, the book, the book. They're so focused on the book. Why would I let some guru tell me what this means when I'll listen to the guy that wrote it tell me what it means? You know? The power's not in the book. The book is my treasure map. But, uh, let's see here. Here. Remember, lack of power is our dilemma. Victor Kitchen. I'm not sure this guy was a real alcoholic. He might have been a heavy drinker. He was on the businessman's committee of the Oxford Group. And he wrote a book called I Was a Pagan. Uh, it's very expensive uh, because I think they're, they haven't reprinted it yet. So they're selling like the real thing for a hundred and some bucks. But you can get like an Adobe uh, thing online and download and print it out if you want. Remember, what's the book say? Lack of power is my dilemma. It doesn't say uh, Sarah Lee is my dilemma or, you know, Winchell's Donuts is my dilemma or, you know, Pizza Hut is my dilemma. It says lack of power is my dilemma. The Oxford group had a power I did not have. They said, however, that I could have it just as they did if I would pay the same price, comply with the same conditions, and go through the same series of exceedingly simple steps. This is what they had as their spiritual principles. Confidence, confession, conviction, conversion, and continuance. Confidence. First thing I have to do is tell you my story. Right? Like I did last night. You're not going to listen to me unless you think, this guy ate like me or as bad as me or he felt like me or as bad as I feel. You see, I've got to gain your confidence. That's why I tell you my story. This is all expressed, by the way, in our own program, except you just, you don't even realize that we got this from somewhere. You see? 
Confession. Well, this is the fourth and fifth step. You're going to hear it when I play the tape. Conviction. I got to show you that I am transformed. Okay? I read that to you on from page 18 last night. And I've taken to reading this to my sponsees. You know? I've taken to reading this. That the man who was making the approaches had the same difficulty. That he obviously knows what he is talking about. That his whole deportment shouts at the new prospect that he is a man with a real answer. That he has no attitude of holier now. Nothing whatever except the sin and desire to be helpful. That there are no access to, no fees to pay, no axes to grind, no people to please, no lectures to be endured. One of Frank Buckman's early admonitions to his people in the Oxford group was, win the argument, lose the man. In other words, if you start arguing with somebody who's got different spiritual convictions than you or maybe a different higher power, you'll lose them. You're never going to get him into this way of life. Win the argument, lose the man. I don't argue with people. You don't want to open the big book? Don't open the big book. You don't want to pray? Don't pray. You don't want to get a food sponsor? Okay, don't get a food sponsor. That's not My experience is that's not going to help you, but I'm not here to tell you what to do. Okay? Continuance. You practice these principles in all your affairs. See, this was the original spiritual principles of the Oxford group. One of the reasons we left the Oxford group, and Bill has an address towards a Catholic organization where he goes into detail. I, I don't know if I brought that with me. It's too long to read anyway. But he basically, the thing about the Oxford groups is, not only were they Christians and sectarians, okay, but they wanted you to get too good too fast. You know, Christianity has that thing about, you know, they got sex, and they got this, and they got that, and you don't curse, you don't play poker, you know, you, know, you don't go to the dog track. They, they say everything you do, you should filter them through this filter of, is it absolutely honest? Is it absolutely pure? Is it absolutely unselfish? Is it absolutely loving? And they wanted you to become very saint-like very quick. There are nothing wrong with these spiritual principles. That's one thing I want... Clarence Snyder, one of the early A pioneers, and a lot. And by the way, they still the Akron the Akron Intergroup still publishes the Four Absolutes in their local literature. And, okay, so there's nothing wrong with these spiritual principles. The problem is, a drunk's coming in or a compulsive overeater. You know, she's 300 pounds. She's just given up. Ice, you know, she's now down to reading three whole chickens a day. That's her abstinence because that's the best she can do. This is not a person I'm going to ask to be a saint overnight. The Oxford groups really wanted this conversion experience where you kind of became a Christian overnight, you know. And Bill says, man, this is too fast, too much too soon for, an alc for a drunk. And he says, you know, so it, this is one of the reasons we left the Oxford group there's nothing wrong with these spiritual principles. If you can, if you, everything I did, if I was, everything I did, I was able to, is, am I being absolutely honest now with the DMV? <laughs> with my insurance company? Was I absolutely honest? Purity. I'm looking at this little newcomer chick. Am I absolutely thinking her in the purest terms now when I offer to be her sponsor, you know? <laughs> Unselfishness, you know? Well, God damn it, man. Where's my eggs? 
You know, she ate the last of the eggs, you know. Am I absolutely being loving? Oh, that bastard, he's talking again. I gotta listen to this, you know. So, you know, I mean, if, if I could actually filter my life through these spiritual principles, I'd probably be a much better right. But Bill correctly deduced that the chances of getting some skid row drunk, you know, who's basically still shaking into this spiritual frame of mind overnight is very, very slim and none. They held on to it in Akron. You know, there's a, the old, uh, one of the oldest divergences of opinion, you might say, in our program is, if you do go through the steps and make all your amends, can you live on 10, 11, and 12 without ever having to go through, you know, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9 again? And Clarence Snyder, who held on to these absolutes, even after we left the Oxford groups, he was an early pioneer, he came in in Cleveland, Dr. Bob was his sponsor in Akron, he started the Cleveland group and pulled AA out of the Akron Oxford groups in 1939 because the book was out. And he said, yeah, I only go through the steps once and I live the rest of my life on 10, 11, and 12. And he held on to this. And he, was, he died sober. 40, a great AA pioneer, great guy, one of my favorite speakers, Clarence S. His tapes are all over the internet. I'll show you where to get all these things for fun and for free if you don't already know. Paul Martin, who died recently with 60 years of sobriety, he's like the godfather of the book thumpers in Chicago. It, really fascinating guy, ex-professional wrestler and boxer. He had a hell of a crazy wild life, but he was great, very good sense of humor. He said the worst advice he ever got in the program is you only need to go through the steps once. He used to go through the steps. At that point, every year he'd go through the steps. The book thumpers that I fell travel with in Santa Monica, they've been working the steps with each other now. They go through the steps at least once a year, starting on page one. Do what you need to do. If you can live on 10 and 11 and 12, what happens with me is I'll usually create some page 52 wreckage in my life and decide, well, I better go through the steps again. The shit's hitting the fan. But you know, Bill Wilson says in the 12 and 12, some of our members go through into go in for annual or semi-annual house cleanings which means they're, they're doing the steps or at least the fourth and fifth and maybe some amends maybe once a year or once every six months do what you want i don't tell anybody else what to do you work it out for yourself that's one of the greatest things about 12-step programs nobody can tell you what to do we suggest you get a food sponsor we suggest you get on a food plan we suggest that if you're binging on Bread, maybe you ought to get, at least for the time being, put eggs on your breakfast instead of bagels or whatever on your food plan, you know? We suggest things, but nobody can tell you what to do. Uh, they were a fellowship. They were attempting to lead a spiritual life without rules or a hierarchy. Did it actually... What happened was, it's kind of like 12-step programs... They got some people who were considered leaders, like Bookman and Shoemaker, who was Bookman's right-hand man. There were people in the New York group who told Bill Wilson, you know, you ought to be up there with Victor Kitchen on the businessman's committee, converting these Wall Street big shots. Bill, all he wanted to do was work with drunks. But Sam Shoemaker said, Bill, you just work with the drunks. That seems to be your calling. Don't worry about... They used to accuse Bill of not being maximum. He was holding unauthorized meetings on Tuesday nights. The Oxford group meeting was on Wednesday night. 
But he would have the drunks in his house in Clinton Street, 182 Clinton Street. I used to live one subway stop away from that when I lived in New York. I actually lived on Grand Army Plaza, and Clinton Street was the next stop in the IRT. And I'd walk by Clinton Street on my way to a bar, and I never realizing I was passing an AA history monument, Bill, Bill Wilson's house, a brownstone. He'd have these meetings Tuesday night. And... But the Oxford group has said, these are unauthorized meetings. You're not maximum bill. See, one, another reason we left the Oxford group is they liked publicity. They didn't believe in anonymity. Their philosophy was the key man theory. You convert the Rockefellers and the peasants will follow. We're the opposite. We don't give a shit how much money, property, prestige, who you are or you think you are when you get here. You might be a movie star. You might be a millionaire. You might be a doctor, lawyer, an Indian chief. You come in here, you're just another compulsive overeater. And if you ain't abstinent, I'm not really paying a lot of attention to your opinions on my four-step inventory, frankly. You know? So that we have this tremendous lack of need for publicity. We found that it was counterproductive to our program. Okay? Even they always says no superstars or VIPs in a lot of the readings of the format. It's part of the spiritual principle of anonymity. But they like to have, the Frank Bookman and the boys love to have their pictures in the society pages with the Firestones and the Rockefellers and all these guys because they thought, I will bring Rockefeller to Christ and then all his workers will follow. That was Bookman's philosophy. Yes? Can you take questions? I will. Let me just go th a little bit more. Uh, let's see. Let's see if there's anything important. This is from Jay Stinnett's uh, AA History Workshop. All this stuff, if you, the point is this, is this stuff important to you getting abstinent and staying abstinent and making a connection with God? Answer, no. Then why am I talking about it? <laughs> because, all right, all right, okay. Well, we can, uh, this is not something I need to do. The reason I'm talking about it is it helps me understand the purpose of our program. The program is a spiritual evolution of spiritual principles focused on people with the character disorders known as the addictions. Started with alcohol, soon to be followed by gambling, compulsive overeating, narcotics addiction, cocaine, sex and love, debting, whatever. The point is that and you're going to hear it in the AA tape, uh, and that'll be the last history I give you, and then we'll talk about the step process. I just want to see if there's anything more important that, that Jim Newton's the guy that brought the Oxford groups to Cleveland, I mean, excuse me, to Akron, and that's how Dr. Bob came into the Oxford groups. His wife and Henrietta Cyberling, who was a, uh, who was a wife, or the wife of the son of the head of, uh, of, of, uh, Firestone Rubber. He brought him to to Akron. Roland Hazard's the guy that went to Dr. Jung, and Jung, and Jung said, you're going to die. Go home and make out your will. And he said, was there no relief from alcoholism? Well, every once in a while somebody has a spiritual experience, but well, I'm, I go to church. He was a member of Sam Shoemaker's Episcopal Church, the Calvary Church. That doesn't do it, Roland. I'm sorry. It's this spiritual experience you need is revolutionary. The book talks about vast rearrangements and psychic changes, changes of being reborn and transformation. He says, you need something special. How do I get it? Well, I don't know. Well, he went out and found the Oxford groups. 
and he he saved he saved this guy Ebby Thatcher, who we're going to hear, or at least Bill will tell you what Ebby told him. Roland Hazard got sober with the Oxford groups after Jung told him he was a dead man walking. Roland Hazard, Roland Hazard knew that Ebby, who was an old childhood friend from Vermont, was going to be sentenced to six months in Windsor Prison because it was on the Vermont statutes. You get three public intoxication or public drunkenness offenses within a year, mandatory six months, Windsor Prison, which is the state prison of Vermont. They heard he was being sentenced. Ebby and another guy named Seba Graves went to the judge, and it helps that the judge's name was Graves, too, because he was Seba's father. It always helps when your father's the judge. <laughs> and Roland, but he actually was listening to Roland more than his son, because Roland kind of sobered up Seba. And Roland says to Judge Graves, you know, put him in our custody, and we're going to take care of this guy. We're going to fix him. That's the way the Oxford groups used to talk. And the early AA guys, Clarence Clarence, they said, we'll fix you. See, like a compulsive idiot comes in here. Oh, you, you, you can't stop eating ice cream. We're going to fix you, you know. And he said, we're going to fix this guy. And the judge, Graves, gave Roland into his custody. And he got sober in the Oxford group. He gave, excuse me, gave Ebby Thatcher into his custody. And he got sober in the Oxford group. And Ebby bought the um, message to Bill. Now, this is the, the only AA history I'm really going to give you and the importance of it is quite simply that these and you'll hear it in the tape I'm going to put these are age old spiritual principles as old as the hills quote unquote built there's nothing new here the idea that you got to get honest with yourself about what's really bothering you what's really killing you in our case it's the food right or and and get honest about why all right you put down the fork and you begin to discover why you're eating you got to get honest about your resentments, your insecurities, your fears, your secrets. You got to share that with somebody else. You know, you got to. One of the things you're going to hear is stop this living alone. That was one of the original messages. In Dr. Jung's letter to Bill, he said, he talked about you got to, to resist evil in the world, you got to join a spiritual community. Okay? What, what do we call it? The fellowship. We call it the fellowship. You got to join a spiritual community. Stop this living alone. Get honest with yourself. Share it with another human being. Make restitution to anybody you've harmed. And pray to whatever God you think there is. You know? And that's so different than an, an organized religious approach. To me, it was. To Bill, it was. To Ebby, it was. To Roland Hazard, it was. And so we owe our lives to the Oxford group. But these are old spiritual principles, as old as the hills. The key to our program and every other 12-step program is we get each other because we're compulsive overeaters. And you're going to hear, and this will be the last A history thing, I'm going to play the original 12-step call, and I'm going to point out a few things to you that I think are important in this 12-step call. And you say, why study A history? Because... The pitch that Ebby gave Bill was just the right thing to say at the right time. And the way he approached him, if he'd approached him in anything like, you've got to accept Jesus as your personal Savior, none of us would be in this room today, and I wouldn't be alive. For me to compulsively overeat is to die. That's a quote from the book. And I'm also an alcoholic. For me to drink is to die. Okay? 
So that's why I study this stuff. Because I want to know what the hell these guys really were doing who wrote this book. And what did they really mean when they say, you know, there are no lectures to be endured, no access to grind. Okay, and what does it mean when, he said, when we say we have no superstars or VIPs? The Oxford group folded. They once had, I don't know, they used to have retreats. Like we have a retreat, what do we got, 50 people here or something like that? They used to have 35, 50,000 people. And they no longer exist. The Washingtonians, anybody heard of the Washingtonians? They were a group that flourished between, what, 1840-something, around there. Abe Lincoln once spoke at one of their meetings. They no longer exist. They had it without television, email, telephones, motion pictures. They had 250,000 sober alcoholics back in the 1840s. Within a few years, they were gone. Why? Because they got into stuff like turning in the saints overnight, polit politics, controversy, publicity. You know, the, one of the things that got Frank Bookman in trouble was he said he thought he could convert Adolf Hitler to Christianity <laughs> and, use the, and, and use the Germans as a bulwark against godless Bolshevism. And he made some offhanded comments. And he wasn't a Nazi, by the way, at all. But he made some comments like, well, the Germans have tremendous efficiency and their, their societies revitalize under Hitler in the 30s, which it was. You know, they started putting the people to work and they had a spirit, you know, or it turned out to be a very demonic spirit ultimately. But he, he thought he could bring, you know, Hitler to Christianity. Now, this is a bit megalomaniacal on his part, you know, but it got him in trouble and Oxford University said, well, take our name off your group. We don't want to be associated with you, you know, because by this time the British were realizing they might have to fight the Germans, see? So, yeah, that's why I study this stuff. This is the last A history I'm going to give you guys, and that's this recording of Bill Wilson's original 12-step call. Him describing in his own words what it was like to get a 12-step call back in 1934. And I think this is it. Yes. Let's make sure we got... Oh, where the hell is my downloads? There it is. All right. Bill Wilson. Um, ah, here it is. The first talk in Dallas. Now, there's the three legacies tapes all over the place. This tape is harder to get. I think Encore Productions owns the copyright now, so you can't even reproduce it anymore. I got it before they got fastidious about the copyright. I, I've been trying to burn this to CDs, but I get a blocking. It says no permission or something. I don't know. But I can play it on the computer. Did I, I thought I just played it, and I just how did I just flick off it? What happened to me here? This Oh, I've got to go like this. Play. Oh, the second talk? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Did I screw that one up? God, you guys are good. Works, anyway. huh? Well, the speaker works. Now, is, well, I, can I say something? Speak. You're, you're um, yes. I'm going to be celebrating 23 years of recovery in March. Great. And the only reason I say that is because early on, I didn't have but one meeting of Overeaters Anonymous in Prescott, Arizona. I had to go to AA meetings. I had to listen to Lori and Charlie. 
Charlie. Joe and Charlie. Joe and Charlie. Knowing this information built the solid foundation upon which I could build my recovery. To me, it's very important, and I appreciate you sharing it because I know that there is a solid foundation here. And so for those of you that are really skeptical that you're wasting time, I just think this is absolutely utterly important. Well, remember, what makes us a fellowship is, and I can't stay absent in AA, is i got to have contact with my compulsive overeater and talk about the food obsession. But the spiritual principles that restore me to sanity are the same in all the goddamn programs. And I like to know the evolution of them, and I like to know the key important factors that I put to work today in my program working with compulsive overeaters. Now, it says in our book, there are no lectures to be endured. I'm not trying to give a lecture on AA history. What I'm trying to do is show you what was important to me to help me understand my spiritual process here as part of my evolution. And what's important about the next thing I'm going to play here is the, the tone of the first 12-step call that tells me today the tone I have to take when I'm talking to a newcomer in AA or OA or any of the A's, Al-Anon. I'm still active in Al-Anon. I go to my home group. So let me see if I can play this now. Now this tape, uh, I think it's hard to get on the internet now because they got a copyright. All right, now you can't even, it's, I don't even waste time on this. I want to get to about 10 minutes in here. So where does it say six? Let's see. To carry the thing that Bill is going to On my own garment, she had her own. Because she was sitting downstairs, well, they All right, let me set it for you. He's starting to get into the story. It's six minutes in. Six minutes and 33 seconds. He's in Towns Hospital for about... This is a little bit confusing. They say he went there three times, but he might have been four. But this is one of his second or third trips in. He's overhearing Dr. Silkworth tell Lois... This guy is going to die within a year. He's going to have a wet brain, be locked up. It's over. It's over, Charlie. The fat lady has sung. In 1934, you had alcoholism or compulsive overeating. You're a dead man. It's like having AIDS in the 80s. You're a dead man walking. So he's given the, the message of hopelessness, the doctor's opinion, to Lois. And here's what Bill Wilson says about that. Later in South to play an important part in the destiny of this society. He's talking about Silkworth. And that saintly old gentleman was telling her of my position. And like many another wife before, and since she was asking the eternal question, why can't he get well? He has wanted to for years. Why doesn't his willpower work anymore? Oh, tell me, doctor, why is all and of course, the good man is gently as he couldn't. Said, well, this whole malady, this whole disease, is something still wrapped in a great deal of mystery. But we do know that the habit of drinking 
in some people becomes a compulsion, an obsession, and finally a veritable insanity. Eating too. Which condemns its victims to drink in spite of their will. I'm eating against my will. And Lois, like many another wife, sharing this realization, said to the doctor, and doctor, what does this mean? How serious is this? Is this? And the gentle old man had to tell her, well, when he first came here, I thought he might be one of those rare few who could be re-educated out of it malady, who with a better understanding might get a fresh grip on life. But Mrs. Wilson, I fear that he's like all, nearly all the others who come this way over the years. And like all of those others who have gone this same way over the centuries past, I fear now that his obsession is too deep, that it cannot be broken. And again, Lois, please, but doctor, what does that mean? And you know what he had to say. He had to let her know that I would have to be locked up somewhere. Unless soon I would go mad or die. If you are a compulsive overeater, as the book says, it only gets worse, never better. You're doomed. That's the real message of the first step in the big book. The message of the book is not, oh, go to meetings, everything's going to be all right. The message of the book is, if you are a real compulsive overeater, this malady has taken the form of an obsession or an insanity that is rooted so deep that you will not conquer it by the human will in spite of your own desire to get better. And if you are a real compulsive overeater, as the book says, it only gets worse, never better. And I've seen it, you know, I'm around here 33 years. You know how many people I've seen come in, get a little abstinence, get thin for a while, then unplug and graduate, and then come back 200 pounds bigger? Yes. Um, I was just, and it's something, I, I don't know what made me watch it, but yeah. Dr. Oz showed. Yeah. And he showed that the eating, the excessive eating of, um, I know it was sugar, and I think it was fat, leads to dying of the liver, the liver cells dying, mm -hmm. which is, and he showed it, you know, how he does his slides, mm -hmm. cirrhosis of the liver. So it was absolutely shocking because you can get cirrhosis of the liver from being a compulsive overeater. Okay. I, I don't know. Isn't that know. amazing? Well, it's amazing, but it kind of doesn't surprise me in a way. But the point is that if you got this thing, the message is you're doomed. Yeah. You're never going to get better. And this is 1934, and this has been going on since pre-biblical times. So in the words of the book, he was destined to join the endless procession of sots that marched off into oblivion. And if you are a compulsive overeater of my type, a real compulsive overeater, you are destined to wind up to that endless procession of morbidly obese people that drops dead at age 50 of a heart attack or a stroke. That's your future if you really got this thing or starved yourself to death. So now let's get to the Ebby part. He's, so he's getting a message from the doctor. Lois is getting the message to you're dead man, you're doomed, okay? So he's hopeless and he's still drinking in 1934. So that was the realization that she shared with me. 
you just hear what he said? The realization of hopelessness, that message that you're a dead man walking, you're doomed, lies at the very root of our success. And, and it's in our literature, and including the OA 12 and 12, but that our strength comes from the fact that we've been beaten down and made a complete defeat by the food. I think it's in the OA 12 and 12 in the step one part. You can check on that. So, you know, he got the message. You're doomed. I do all know. What is the next realization? Now, this is Abby. A great moment. The first 12 step call. Well, it was the realization on the part of a friend who thought he had an answer that I might need his help. So, a friend came to me. Even his friends have since come to you, hoping that they could be helpful. This was an old schoolmate. I hadn't seen him for years. Since I had learned a good deal about this malady by then, I had long since tabbed him as a hopeless one, like me. Here he was in New York sober. He was on the telephone. I said, come over. We'll drink. Abby, we'll talk about the good old days. Oh, what great force there was in that uh, unconscious observation. We'll talk about the good old days. Why would we talk about the good old days? Because for us, the future wasn't unbearable. The present was unbearable. The present. All right, that's a key. The present was unbearable. There was no future. When I'm hitting my bottom in food in France 33 years ago, the pain of the present had to get unbearable. And the future represented, well, I had memories of the past, gray sheet abstinence, which was just intolerable. So what was the future? There, you know, I didn't know what the future was. Okay? So he's in this point where the present is unbearable and there is no future. He's been given the death sentence by the doctor. It's no use. You're dying like every alcoholic since pre-biblical times. That's why we would live in pain. He and I over that crock of gin on my kitchen table. So soon, like many of Francis Comstead, he's looking across the table at me. Somehow I sensed that he was not just on the waterway. Something had happened. He told He's not just on the water wagon. Something's different. If you look on the, in the book and his stories, he talks about he'd been changed. His roots grass new soil. A compulsive overeater who's got a spiritual awakening. You know, your relative sees you. They haven't seen you in 10 years. You're thin. What kind of diet are you on? I used to get asked this by my relatives all the time. What, what's your diet? They're always, what diet are you on, you know? Oh, I'm just abstaining from compulsive overeating one day at a time. They, you know, they're they're spooked. They don't know what the hell to do with me. You know, the the ones that are still eating are usually just trying to push food at me. See, they don't. But the you guy with a, a a message, the lights are on. He's not just white knuckling it. You get it? And this is important. I'll just let's listen just a little bit. Okay. 
about the good old days. Why would we talk about the good old days? Because for us, the future was unbearable. The present was unbearable. There was no future. That's why we would live in the past. He and I over that clock again on my kitchen table. <laughs> so soon, like many of Frank's comes in, he's looking across the table at me. <laughs> Somehow I sense that he was not just on the waterway. Something had happened. He told me he didn't want to drink. I said, are you on the waterway? He said, oh no, I'm just not drinking. Oh, come, said I, what's got into you? And he looked at me and he said, I've got religion. Well, for a lusty agnostic like me, that was a terrible disappointment. I felt horribly let down. I said, my God, my poor friend has got religious insanity. It takes the place of alcoholic insanity. Bill describes himself as a lusty agnostic. He didn't mean lusty in a sexual sense. He meant enthusiastic, you know. He's the kind of guy who liked to stay up all night drinking, arguing with a divinity student about why there's no God. He got a kick out of it. He's a very bright guy, passed the Edison test. He was an electric, where he was trained in engineering. Wall Street big shot at one time. The book's chapter four is we agnostics, not you agnostic. We agnostics. Bill was an agnostic. And here's Ebby sitting across from him, and he says, in our terms, well, I'm just, no, I don't, I don't want any of those bagels, or I don't want that ice cream. What's gotten in you? Well, I'm not eating today. Well, what's gotten in you? Well, I, I'm an Overeaters Anonymous, you know? And he senses there's something different about the guy. And this is the point. He thinks, you know, it's crazy. He's a little bit skeptical. He said, why I, I would call it religion. Listen. Exactly. Just common sense, nothing new about it. But for me, it didn't trick. I feel as though my obsession has been taken away from me. Well, what kind of religion is this? You know, he's ready to scoff. Well, you know, not much of a religion anyway. It's just common sense. You know? That's the approach. No evangelizing, none of you are going to take Jesus or you're going to die. None of that shit is coming off of Abby. And that's why he's the perfect man to talk to Bill. And he tells me today how I should carry the message over our eaters anonymous. I've literally had a crazy compulsive overeating ant. Eat, eat. No, I'm not, I'm not eating today. Eat, eat, eat. No, I, I don't want to eat today. I'm, I've lost a lot of weight. What's the matter? You know, I had literally, I had to protect my abscess. I pissed her off a bit. But I mean, she, you know, she doesn't get it. So this is, this is when Bill is grilling Ebby on what kind of religion he's got. And Ebby's replies are very important. That's why we would live in the past. He and I, over that crack of gin on my kitchen table. <laughs> so soon, like many of Francis comes in, I jump back he's looking time. across the table at me. <laughs> Somehow I sense that he was not just on the waterway. Something had happened. He told me he didn't want to drink. I don't want to eat. you on the waterway. He said, oh no, I'm just not drinking. I'm not eating sugar today. Oh come, said I, what's got into you? And he looked at me and said, I've got religion. Well, for a lusty agnostic like me, that's a terrible disappointment. 
I felt horribly left down. I said, my God, my poor friend has got religious insanity to take the place of alcoholic insanity. Too bad. So I said, well, come now. Uh, tell me what brand of religion is this? And he said, why, well, I, I, I wouldn't call it religion exactly. Listen to this. He said, Tom, thanks, nothing new about it. Nothing new about it. But for me, it didn't do the trick. I feel as though my affection has been taken away from me. He said, I feel that I have been released. Strange statement for a man on the water wagon to make. No, this was something different. Did you get that? Well, I said, what? Somebody, you know, what do you mean you're not, you know, guy pushes ice cream there. What do you mean you don't want any ice cream? I'm just not eating any sugar today. What's gotten in you? you know, I've been relieved of the obsession to eat sugar, you know. What kind of religion is this? What's this OA stuff about? Well, it's just simple spiritual principles, you know. I live one day at a time, etc., etc. The point that I'm trying to make here is the approach and the message and the way he delivered it. Let me back. I don't want to backtrack too much. Let me. But that's the key. Oh, come, said I. What's got in you? And he looked at me and he said, I've got religion. Well, for a lusty agnostic like me, that was a terrible disappointment. I felt horribly let down. I said, my God, my poor friend has got religious insanity. It takes the place of alcoholism. Oh, let it prove it. I wouldn't even call it religion. Did you hear that? He gave him the elements, which today, now this is in 1951, so we're talking about 12 years after the book is published. He gave me word of mouth. You know, you want a treasure hunt. The treasures are contact with a higher power. He gave him in verbal form the elements, which is at the heart of the AA program today, at this time, 1951. The point is, you can transmit this spiritual message verbally, and even the recovery process verbally. Is it better to have the treasure map? Of course it is. But the key is the tone of Ebby's approach. That's what, uh, what strikes me from this thing. And the way he's delivering his message. Let me see if I can not backtrack too much. The today lies the core of our procedure in the I simple language. Now here, here's our program in 1938. I made a list of the people I'd harmed and visited. 
today. I made a what a man's restitution I could. And I learned about a new kind of giving, as we know the mean. The kind of giving that demands no reward. I was told that I ought to try to help other people without any demand for prestige or material consideration. Now he said, I know you're awful gun shy on this religious stuff. He said, I'm not a guy with any theology on his anger. He said, I do believe in God. God as I understand him. And he said, in order to make this simple program work in my life, I thought it necessary to pray to whatever God there was, as I understood him. Such was my friend's message to me. Listen to this. And such has this message in its essence been ever since. As simple as that. Did you hear that? He gave him the message. You, you get... Honest with yourself about your defects, your compulsive overeating. You stop this living alone. Crucial. Okay? You make a confession. You share it with somebody. Steps four and five. You, I learned a new kind of giving. Helping people just for the sake of helping. Okay? With no thought of money, property, and prestige. And then finally he says, I'm not much on this theology, you know, but I've always believed in God and I just found it helpful to me. It worked for me and it will help you if you just pray to whatever God you think is out there. Okay? And, he said, and Bill Wilson says, and this is still at the essence of our program today. Now this is from the guy who wrote the big book. You know, this program is simple. And the message can be delivered in that simple manner with a lack of evangelicism or this or that or, you know. So that actually relates to this question I wanted to ask. Sure. Which is, um, did the Oxford groups um, require, I mean, so if, if, if Buckman was a Lutheran, Buchman, yeah. did, did he want his, his converts and his folks that would come into the hostels or whoever he was working with in the Oxford groups to become a Lutheran. No. Okay, so that wasn't required in the Oxford groups it wasn't. to be in a particular religion. It was I don't know how they would have treated Jews or Hindus or Muslims, but, but they were, you know, their first they were following, they were following, trying to emulate first century Christianity. Okay. Yes, did you? You know it's kind of interesting too is that uh, Dr. Bob was in the Oxford group for two and a half years could not Right. Right. Dr. Bob, when they sat together. And that's when Dr. Bob goes, this man, 
he understands me. Because here, he'd been praying over Dr. Bob, he'd heard the Oxford group, and it's like this fabulous coming together of these, this Oxford group principles to give him the power, and then this understanding of, oh my God, this allergy, and this mental obsession to do what you don't want to do, and we keep doing it over and over. It's All right. The key here, and there's a little bit more, is these are age-old spiritual principles, as old as the hills. Nothing new here. The key is it's one alcoholic talking to another. And because we're in OA, I couldn't get abstinent in AA. Okay? I need to have another compulsive overeater deliver me this message. There's one little section left where he mentions the whole key to this thing. He had lived in my strange world and now he'd been released. Let me see if I can get that. And yet, in the hands of another alcoholic, another compulsive overeater, came forth penetrate and deal as though they should never be alcoholic. The secret was, of course, that one alcoholic was talking to another. That's the secret. So what he said struck me deep. Indeed, he lived in my sense had lived in my strange world, but now I saw that he had been taken out of that world. His sanity had been restored. That's it. He had lived in my strange world, and now I see he'd been taken out of that, that world. So, I come into Overeaters Anonymous 33 plus years ago, and Edie comes up to me and says, my name's Edie, I'm compulsive overeater. I used to weigh, you know, I've lost 90 pounds and I kept it off for five years. Now that gets my attention. These, there's nothing new about these spiritual principles. But when one compulsive overeater transmits it to another, that's the magic of OA. And that's why Roseanne had to start our fellowship. Okay? The point I'm making with this, and this is the last uh, history stuff, so, you know, we can move on to step work and book work and practical stuff about whatever you want to talk about, frankly. The point is that we're practicing spiritual principles that are as old as the hills. We're not a religion. We're not going to tell you what God to believe in. We're going to keep it simple. And we're not going to approach in any evangelizing manner. And you can pray to whatever God you think is out there. And I have been released of the obsession to eat compulsively. You see? That's the tone of the message. And that's why this tape was important to me. Because you will find people in OA who are very, you know. And sometimes I think people need that with a food structure. You gotta, it's, a, it's always a balance of being honest with somebody. Like, like you said, Silkworth gave him the message. You're going to die. Bob, Bill had to carry that message to Bob. You're going to die. Uh, Dr. Jung had to carry that message to Roland Hazard. You're going to die. So I want to make it real clear. We'll, we'll start to go through the steps. That if you've just been hearing an Overeaters Anonymous, well, just don't eat and go to meetings or something, you've been hearing a very wrong message. My message is a little different. My message is, is the message of the big book. If you are a compulsive overeater, you are in the grip of a disease 
which is a form of insanity that is in your psyche and will always get worse, never better. And you better do something about it or you're heading for big time trouble. You know, you're heading for that, you know, 700 pound range as always said. Well, some of us go down the, the path deeper than others. But what I've learned being around here for 33 years is that you can get abstinent. You can get some sort of a first half of the first step experience. Oh yeah, I can't eat sugar. You know, and you can get some sort of a food plan, which was kind of what was going on when I came in the program in 1978. The power was seemed to be ingratiated, at least according to these women. And you can get off the sugar and get on a food plan. You ain't gone anywhere except to page 52 is where you're going to go. You'll be stark raving crazy. You may lose weight, but you ain't going to be a happy camper. And what usually happens is they'll lose the weight. And remember, I've been here a long time. They'll get thin. They can, maybe they'll start dating. Maybe they'll get the job that they were, didn't have the confidence to apply for when they were fat. And their life gets well. They start, and then they leave. They disconnect and they graduate. And then the next time you see them, they're 200 pounds heavier. And you know what I'm saying? The point is that first step has two parts to it. You are powerless over food and your life is unmanageable. And what that second half means is, if you don't heal spiritually, okay, you're going to manifest page 52 in your life. The same as if the first half of the step, if you keep eating sugar, you're not going to be able to stop because you've got a physical allergy. But the second half of that step is addresses the emotional unmanageability and the spiritual malady. If you're not connected to a higher power, you're going to be crazy as a loon. You may, thin is not well. That was one of the overeater slogans. Thin is not well. You may be thin, but you won't be well. That's the message of step one in its entirety. Okay? I have to concede to my innermost self, page 30, that I am a compulsive overeater. The delusion that I'm like normal people. I'm not a normal person. And even if I manage to put down the sugar and not eat ice cream today, I'm not normal. Okay? And if I don't treat my malady spiritually, I'm not going to be a happy camper. That's the real message of step one in the book. It may not be what you're hearing from your sponsor. Yes? Is there a way to be relieved of the malady to a degree that um, previously compulsive foods come back or if I you know had binge problems with certain classes of foods will they always be need to be abstained from? Well in my experience the answer is no but I can only give you my personal experience I wouldn't make a generalization I'll just tell you that like I said one, at one time I just couldn't eat any rice you know I just stayed away from it or, or you know I was real careful about bread I was eating like whole wheat, one slice of whole wheat pita bread was my, on the original food program, I think, Dignity of Choice that I got, I would eat two or three soft-boiled eggs, a piece of whole wheat pita bread. Nowadays, I had two pieces of toast for breakfast without butter. It didn't bother me. I mean, the answer is, if I'm relieved of the obsession, I was telling uh, one of our members this story. When I first came to Santa Monica, Natalie was my food sponsor. She was a long-timer in OA. She once weighed over 300 pounds. She's a small woman. She was kind of like a sphere. You know, she has this picture that she used to show at meetings. That was, 
you know, she was a circus material, as Jeannie says. And uh, she was my first food sponsor. So uh, I'm trying to clean up my food plan, lose a little weight. And she says, well, you're eating two baked potatoes. Why don't you just eat one? I said, okay. And she says, oh, I see you've got some recovery. And I said, well, that's a nice compliment, Natalie, but uh, how could you tell that? And he said, because you didn't argue with me over the baked potato. You just gave it up. If I'm still obsessed or spiritually disconnected, I'm going to debate that potato with you. I mean, you know, giving up a, whole, a potato, I'm going to make it an issue. We're going to have to, she's going to have to pull it out of my cold, dead hands, that baked potato. <laughs> you know? But if the obsession is removed and my food sponsor makes a suggestion, I give it to God. You know, you see, that's recovery as opposed to abstinent. You know, thin is not well. If I'm relieved of the obsession, I'm not going to fight you over, over every crumb of food on the food plan. Yes? Like if they if they follow like you know like your um your first one um the one that was the the gray sheet yeah and stuff and then um you know you tell a newcomer well you gotta follow this gray sheet and they're like and, I mean not newcomer but somebody's been in the program maybe a little bit but it's like kind of off and on on their abstinence so they can't just give up everything and just go on that gray sheet does that mean that there's just no recovery at all like they ha if they like meet somebody that follows a gray sheet and the person says follow this gray sheet and then they say no does that mean that they're not willing or not recovering or is it that they're just not a match for that person it means they're not a match do you know um if you need to weigh and measure you need to weigh and measure you know if you need to go to how and get their food plan get a how food sponsor go to how and get a how food sponsor if you need to dig up the old copies of gray sheet and follow that dig up the old copies of gray sheet and follow that okay that's it's that's called putting down the drink you know, you will establish your abstinence in whatever way you need to establish your abstinence. Okay? I can't lay any rule about you should have a liberal food sponsor, a rigid food sponsor. You know, if, some, if your food sponsor says, I need you to call me every day at 7 a.m. and tell me your food in advance, then that's what your food sponsor is laying out for you is an abstinence. I email my food to my food sponsor, tell her what I'm going to eat the next day, Tell her if I varied from what I said. If I go up in my range, I call her to adjust my food. Okay? So there's no one answer I can give you. I know I talked to one of our members last night about the rigidity of certain people and this and that. I can't give you... I might be too liberal a food sponsor for somebody. You know, my sponsee was hitting a plateau with the food. I was taking him through the big book doing the step work. And I think he was getting something out of it. But it was driving him nuts that he couldn't break through a certain barrier in his food. It was just messing with his head. He went to How, got on a How food plan, and broke through. And now he's at the lowest point he's been since he's been in 08. And he's so happy. As my old uh, sponsor, who's, uh, he's actually in both programs, Martin S., who's down in Nashville. It's not about the food except when it's about the food. In other words, it is about spiritual recovery in God, except when it's about the food. You know, if you know, I'm not listening to some alky give me his opinion on his inventory if he's still got liquor on his breath. If it's about the food, it's about the food. And I have to find a food plan that's going to work for me. The thing about OA is you're always getting questions about the food and this and that. You never get this in AA because it's simple. Did you drink today? No. Well, then you're sober today. 
Now, that doesn't work in our program, okay? Everybody, you know, some of us, we need this different thing. So I don't know if that answers your question. I just don't believe that you can give one size all answer here. Hi, Tricia. Um, you started out this morning talking about, from the big book, that my problem is lack of power. Right. That's my dilemma. And I have lived my entire life um, trying to control everything. And for me, controlling my food is just one part of that. And... Um, what I got from hearing the tape was Bill Wilson say, repeating what Abby had said to him, what he said was the obsession had been taken away from me. And I finally got intellectually to that point where I saw that I was still trying to control. And it's that next step. It's all the tools are great, all the books are great, all the moral psychology is great, all the spiritual principles are great, but if I'm not willing to, tr to truly turn my will over to God, there's no friggin' food plant in the world that's going to help me. None at all. And that's hopefully when you start talking about the steps and the transformation through the steps, it's like I need to do the work that's going to help me develop that conscious contact with God because left left on my own, I I can't do it, and I'm still trying to do it. <laughs> yeah, I agree, Trish. But that's a great omission of powerlessness. Actually, what you said is actually very, very, in my view, with experience doing this stuff, is very optimistic because that's the kind of state that you have to get to. I mean, I'm, li I'm literally on my knees. You know, I can't stop eating in Paris 33 years ago. And the more I'm praying, the more I'm eating. And I just got almost everybody I know who gets to a point of long-term recovery, no matter what program, our program too, definitely with the food, but also in AA, they all seem to have one thing in common. They, you know, I'm talking about the people with long-time recovery. We got people in Serenity Sunday picking up candles for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, you know. And they all say the same thing. When I would hit my bottom, I would do anything. I would, my, my sponsor told me to stand on my head. I would have done it, you know. It's not that the sponsor knows all the answers or that he's so wise or has the right food plan for the right person, because he might not. It's that state you got to get to. Um, I'm doomed. I'm finished. I'm done. It's over. And I'm and I've run out of ideas. You know, I've seen chronic slippers and I'm thinking of this one guy up in their book study group who knows the big book back and forth. He's been around the program, the other fellowship, the beverage program for years. And he's he's still trying to run his own recovery. The one thing he doesn't have is that attitude of okay, I give up. Just tell me what to do. He's still haughty, and he'll quote the book back at you. And, and the book does say you never talk down to another compulsive overeater. It says it's in chapter working with others. You heard in that tape a little of the kind of attitude that you'll see in chapter 7, working with others, 
working with others is incredibly precise about the kind of tone and attitude that you should have when you talk to a newcomer. Okay, I wanted to go through the steps in order, so I didn't want to jump ahead too, too much, but it says you never talk down to another compulsive overeater. You know, that's not the, that's why it says in our, a lot of our formats and our traditions, we have no superstars or VIPs. You know, nobody's on it. Everybody, the philosophy of, of our program is God's in charge. We're all his kids and nobody, he doesn't love one, any one kid more. I've managed to pull some absence together if Trish or one of you guys is, is suffering with your food. God doesn't love me more than you. It does, you know, oh, Roy, I'm going to give him recovery, but no, this one's got to suffer. That's not our, the way we do it here. We're all equal. We, just, we're, we step into a state of grace through an admission of hopelessness and an attitude of willingness. You had a question. You know, it, every case, every case is different. You know, some people, it comes from like with me. I'm praying that I can't stop eating, and I'm praying. And the more I prayed, the more I ate, and I just, I just kind of, I let go and got into that total state of the now where I was willing to just get through breakfast abstinent. Some people come, they gradually adjust their food. They go. To, some people come to a meetings drunk, and they hear something, and eventually they get sober. It's just there's no one answer to how you're going to get it. Some people have to relapse to get that first step internally. Do you have a question too? Well, I, you know, I've known some people who have relapsed while they're in the middle of steps, frankly. I'm going to tell you that everything is a surrender, okay? I might lo love the program, be attracted towards a spiritual message, be open to the God concept, love the literature, not mind listening to the history tapes, whatever, and I still might not be willing to give up ice cream, Okay? Every single bottom you hit is a bottom you hit of surrender. I will say this, Tricia, you're crying here, and I said I'm very optimistic. I don't come off of this stuff uh, out of my own uh, capricious uh, genius. Page 94. Maybe you have disturbed him about the question of compulsive overeating. This is all to the good. The more hopeless he feels, the better. <laughs> Check that out. The more hopeless you feel, the better. Bill Wilson, I'm dying. I'm going to join the endless procession of socks that march off in oblivion. It's over, Johnny. You know, the more hopeless you feel, the better. That's one of the greatest little throwaway lines in the book. It's in chapter working with others. It's all in here. you got to trust me on that. We're going to get to it. I don't know how to do the time management. 
I gave you some background history. I played the first 12-step call. I showed you that we come from age-old spiritual principles as old as the hills. Nothing new here, just common sense. Thank you. We're not a theology. Bill Wilson uses the term friend. The word sponsor is not even mentioned in the big book. They do use the term spiritual advisor. Nobody's more important than anybody else. You never talk down to another compulsive overeater. All this comes from the roots of the program. Pray to whatever God you think's out. Yes, sir. We're going to 1130. Another half hour. Another half hour. All right. Yes. Okay, so you've mentioned a food sponsor, and, and I don't have a food sponsor, and I've never been a food sponsor. Mm -hmm. um, I have a sponsor, and she helps me work through my steps. And pretty much I tell her what I eat. And so I'm wondering, like, should I? And I okay, sorry for the should I, but um, do you? Yeah, stop shitting on myself. <laughs> do you um, ask a, a food sponsor to, like, tell you when they think you're getting off the beam? That sounds like so freaking scary to me. I don't even like the idea of anybody talking to me about my food. Yeah. In a way, there's two things that. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I didn't. I didn't mind. I didn't mind going to a restaurant and seeing people, and having people see me go back to the buffet line three or four times and use eat huge mounds of food and eat two or three cakes or whatever the hell I'm eating. But today, you know, I don't really like eating with other compulsive overeaters. You know, I just don't like people looking at my food. And I don't like people watching me pray, you know. It's funny that those I'm a little shy. But the answer to your question is, I just found that, you know, like I said, I got no new game. I got nine tools, 12 steps. Food sponsor and food plan are one of our tools. Or sponsor is a tool mentioned on the, uh, in the pamphlet on the tools. I've always found it. You know what a sponsor, a food sponsor, he's a, the food sponsor is a witness to my covenant between God of what I'm going to eat today. I email Zan my food. I said I'm going to be at this retreat. I'm going to, they say there's abstinent food. I'm going to eat this, that, and the other thing. If I was home today, I probably would have eaten a half a carton of egg substitutes from Costco. There's a little, two pieces of whole, uh, low carb tortillas. There's only 50 calories. And I usually eat a can of unsweetened dull pineapple with Splenda. That was, and coffee with almond milk, 40-calorie uh, almond. That's a typical breakfast for me to this day. And I commit that to my food sponsor the night before on an email. And if I vary from it, I usually email her. The food sponsor is a witness to the covenant I'm making between me and my higher power that I'm going to eat this. I'm committing this food to God, and I want a witness there. You got to stop this living alone, says Ebby to Bill Wilson in 1934. You got to stop this living alone. In Dr. Jung's letter, it's published in a book called Language of the Heart, which is AA literature, the correspondence between Bill Wilson and Dr. Jung. He says, I didn't want to mention it to Roland because, you know, I'm a doctor and they're giving me all this flack about spiritual talk. But, I, you know, he says, to resist evil in the universe, you have to join a spiritual community. What does that mean? You got to stop this living alone. Well, we got a little chapter called "Vision for You." Okay.
Oh, yeah, I'm trying to think. Do I have anything more? Uh, oh, there's one more thing I wanted to show you guys, which you th- I thought was pretty funny, which is this. The theme of the was the of the workshop was it works, it really does. But what program I'd be working? And I had this little thing called uh, that a comedy team. I think you'd enjoy it, uh, which had to do with a comedy team that put this slogan slapper thing on. Let me see if I can find this thing. If I can't, we'll turn the screen off. Okay? Where the hell is that slogan slapper thing here? Oh, man, I'm not a... That's Explorer. Let me see what the desktop... Let's see, desktop. Oh, you get a kick out of this. It's funnier than shit. It's about, like, what program are you working? Uh... You see any slogan slappers? Um, what about your downloads? Yeah, maybe it's in the downloads. Yeah, S. Let me see if I can get to the S. Woo, that was a weird noise. Oh, man. It's a video. Maybe it's in the video things. Oh boy, I can't. I had it on the on the thing to play at these at these uh, retreats and presentations because it's just so funny. We can look for it before we come back on. Yeah, I can look for it. Yeah, I don't want to waste time, you guys. All right, so we'll turn the screen off. Uh, Okay, I don't know how to. You can turn that thing off or whatever. um, Hibernate. Hibernate. Function F four. Function F. It's got a moon? A moon, huh? Is this a moon? No, don't do that. He's going to hibernate. Is that good? All right. Let's see if I can find that slogan slapper thing. Um, What I was looking for in a vision for you, the reason I played that tape for you is the whole essence of our program came in that little message that was delivered verbally in a few minutes by Ebby to Bill. Who knows where in the book uh, I can look for it without using the screen here. Where the hell is the big book? That famous thing. Oh, is it back on? No, we're just laughing because it's a big book trivia. Oh. Look, well, where is that thing about we have a substitute that's infinitely more satisfying or something like that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Contri- shift all is that shift all F shift oh it's shift control F I think. One fifty two in the fourth edition. One fifty two. Middle of the page. Yeah. There you go. He says yeah. Now remember remember the simple message. You gotta quit this living you gotta Get honest about your defects. You got to quit this living alone. What does that mean? Quit this living alone. What did what did Jung mean? Page one fifty two. What did it mean when Jung said you need a spiritual community to resist evil in the universe? It means you, if you are a compulsive overeater, you've got a malady that's so deep inside you that it's a form of insanity. 
It's an obsession. And you're not going to be able to kick it as a loner. It says... Page 152, to uh, first paragraph down. We've shown how we got out from under. Whenever you tell something to a compulsive overeater, you always share from the eye. This is what happened to me. Okay? This is what I did. You tell them your story. You don't, uh, you don't preach to them or talk down to them or give them lectures and this or that. We have shown how we got out from under. You say, yes, I'm willing. Okay? Like I said, everybody I know has gotten long-term recovery. goes, okay, I'll do it. Whatever you want. But am I to be consigned to a life where I should be stupid, boring, and glum? Like some righteous people I see. I know I must get along without, without sugar, without ice cream. How can I? Have you a sufficient substitute? Yes, there is a substitute, and it's vastly more than that. There is the fellowship in Overeaters Anonymous. And I can't do this in AA. i got to be here. Because I'm a compulsive overeater. Therefore, I belong in meetings of Overeaters Anonymous. I am not going to be able to resist food in AA. They're, half of them are overeating, you know. And uh, there you will find release from care, boredom, and worry. Your imagination will be fired. Life will mean something at last. The most satisfactory years of your existence lie ahead. Thus we find the fellowship and so will you. Now, how is that to come about, you ask? Where am I going to find these people? Well, then they talk about this. But there's that line, and I don't know where that line is. But the fellowship you crave will grow up among you. And that's an important line. The fellowship you crave will grow up among you. You know, that's why I had to hit a bottom with food and I had to go to OA. I needed that fellowship to solve compulsive overeating. I'm so, it's like when I hit my, uh, you know, my Al-Anon bottom, I'm certainly not going to f- deal with my Al-Anon issues in AA. There's no better place to practice the Al-Anon disease than in the, in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. you got a whole bunch of uh, qualifiers there, the people that try and manipulate control and you know, get to do what I want, and none of them are going to do it because they're all alcoholics. And I had to go to Al-Anon because the, the drunks were driving me nuts, you know. And I use Al-Anon for my OA. I mean, I'm pretty active in OA, and I do what they ask me to do usually. But, I mean, I've started meetings where people have refused to give up the commitment, the light a candle meeting, you know. I started that meeting, the one that tapes the podcast. And our first tape guy there, I well, I want to keep the commitment. I said, well, we got to rotate, you know. He was, this guy's really crazy. And he was binging, and he was, <laughs> he was really sick. And, I mean, we had to have a group conscience to eject him, you know. I mean, and I, 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 I need Al-Anon to show me. All these 12-step programs are applying a spiritual focus on a certain area of my life. But I need them. I wouldn't be there if I didn't need them. I can't stay abstinent in Alcoholics Anonymous. They don't get my sick relationship with food. And I can't learn how to detach from crazy addicts in the rooms of OA and AA. i got to go to Al-Anon to learn how to detach. Because that's where that focus is. Their tools are different. Right? We got nine tools. They got a couple in AA. I guess they got food plan, which is don't drink, and I guess they got phone calls. They do phone calls. I guess they do writing, and they do literature. Yeah, they do the tools. In Al-Anon, though, there's detachment and all this stuff. I mean, it's really, they were talking a very foreign language when I got to Al-Anon, but that helped me immensely, and I still go.
So the bottom line is that um, you saw that these are age-old spiritual principles. They're common sense. There's nothing new here. And we're going to apply them now. The next section I want to go into, maybe we'll save uh, 20 minutes for just questions, but I told Richard that I wanted, you have a free period from 1 to 4. If anybody's interested, I'll save that time for, this is my notes from the big book. This is what I gave at the LA uh, OA birthday party last year. It's on the internet, by the way. My, and uh, I took people through the steps as outlined in the book. We went through the whole thing. I don't know how, I may have to abbreviate it. They gave me three, three, three hour session, sessions to do that. Now I'm going to, but I told people if you want to do it from one to four, I'm willing to do it. Yes? Well, not take them through. I will show them the process as outlined in the book. If you, you know, because some people in Overeaters Anonymous, Oh, I'm sorry. Did I upset Steve? I don't know. The whole retreat was for that. Well, I started by the history of the spiritual principles, Steve. I'm sorry if uh, I didn't quite... I was going to do it at the third session anyway, but I wanted to try and... Uh, I think Steve's upset. All right. Sorry. I don't have a lot of money. I try to spend my money well. Well, I'll, t I'll tell you what. If you want, if were you planning on going to the evening session? I mean, there was a one to four free time, and that's and and then he, I guess, he thought I would spend the first. Don't worry about it's it. It's not right. personal. Yeah, I know it's I know it's not personal. That's why I go to Alan on so to know it's not personal. You know, I got to detach from him. But he's upset, and you know, I can't if he's if he's frustrated by the format of the schedule. Yes, I'm sorry. Can I just ask a clarifying? Sure. No, I'll I'll go through I'll go through the processes the best I can in the uh, there was a later session right yes sir. what's the what's the late four to what I'm willing to do it tonight but I'm just saying if there's so much material that I told Richard and this was totally optional I mean maybe Steve doesn't understand that I'm still going to give the night sessions. I said, any you guys want to go horseback riding one to four, go horseback riding. You guys want to go camping, go camping. I don't care. I said to him, I will make myself available one to four if anybody wants to do any step work stuff. Fine. I'm not. Tr um, I think he thinks maybe I cut into his horseback time or something. I'm not going to give the. I'm I'm perfectly willing to do it at the regularly scheduled session too. Yeah. Uh, I'm Carolyn. I'm compulsive overeater. I just wanted to share something. Um, hi, Carolyn. Hi, you guys. Hi, Carolyn. One of my biggest like aims to get for my retreat is to not have my own personal agenda. Right. And like every time that I come with expectations or where I feel like it's a certain trait. <laughs> yeah. I'm oftentimes disappointed and get upset 
And so I remember one time, and, and one of the main topics was about male-female relationships, and I was getting all frustrated and freaked out. Yeah. And that was like the worst time I ever had at a retreat because I couldn't put aside my desires and just listen to the speaker. And I just want you to know that I support you, man. <laughs> I know it's hard what you're doing. No. I think I think this one individual got upset because he thought he wasn't going to get exposed to a step workshop, which he thought he was showing up for. I will do it at the regularly scheduled time. I just said, I'm not a horseback rider. I'm not going swimming at this time of the year. I'm not a camper. You know, bugs give me the creeps. I'm willing to use the time for... So we'll make that from one to yeah. optional. Yeah, optional, totally optional. Come here and have that, and come here and have that. Yeah. Go ride a horse instead. Go ride a horse. Yeah, I'm not. This I think Steve thinks I he had planned to. Go, he's not going to get exposed to the step workshop, and his free time's being cut into. This lady and then this gentleman. My only question is, yeah. It'll basically, yeah. I w what I was going to try and do is. I knew that they'd give me the slot tonight. I said, Friday, I'll tell my story. Just like the book says, you got to gain their confidence. I said, what's going on Saturday? They said, well, you give a morning presentation. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I said I wanted to do... I probably should have saved the AA history work stuff to the one in four optional. Maybe that was my mistake, okay? But I, it's really like an evolution of, it's like, this is an introduction to the spiritual principles. I want to go through the steps as outlined in the book. I will do it at the regularly scheduled sessions tonight. I'll be glad to do it. I just told Richard, if one to four, I'll make a, a, some sort of time available for step work. Because I'm not just interested in, Looking at the, my thing is, you see one tree, you see them all. But I mean, that's just me. I'm not a woodchuck, so I don't. Yeah. Let me see if I can clarify. Yeah. Because we have talked about it before. Yeah. He, this man's got a lot to offer, a lot to give. Four or five hours isn't going to begin to even yeah. scratch the surface. You know, he's trying to give 100% of him. Stay up till midnight helping people all lunchtime. Get here. He's trying to give, give, give. Every moment that he's here is what he's trying to do. Is how to figure out how to give us the most he possibly can. And, you know, and, and I love that. And so he's looking at this break time. He says, how can I give even more? You know, and he's, okay, I'm going to, uh, you know, between him and God, he knows what's going to happen this afternoon after, after, before dinner, and he knows what's going to happen, or maybe he doesn't. Maybe, it's, maybe him and God will figure that out. <laughs> but this is something that he just decided we can offer from one to four also. Does it... Um, and does that mean that what's going to happen tonight or this afternoon is going to be less important or less valuable? I'm going to trust God that it isn't. Yeah. Um, um, is it an either-or thing? I mean, if you feel guided to go and and you know and do something else, then trust God. Go to God with that and decide. We're not going to try to control that. I'm going to trust that God came into this man and said, "I want to give more from one to four. You know, and if you're and if and if I think that's just too much time in the room, right. and it's too much stuff. You know, then trust that. Go somewhere else, do something else. That's he's offering that. And we're going to trust that as a committee that that's what God wants to happen here. So, 
So it's not an either nor, it's not all or nothing. I know if you're like me as an addict, I don't want to miss anything, you know, or I don't want to be cheated out of my money. You know, I want him to do it on my schedule so I can have my horse and my, you know, and, and he yeah. too, you don't know, and uh, <laughs> so I don't know if he knows what's going to happen, and that's okay, that's just how it is. So uh, we're going to make that optional for one point. Us. I think our role is to give as much as we can to him and thank you. Well, and no, that's fine. And loving and caring so, for you doing I, service. That's what I think. What, Roy, what? My name is Barbara. I'm a compulsive overeater. Sure. Uh, I saw the uh, workshop that you did at the OA birthday party. I was there. Oh, great. Um, and I want to tell you, um, it did. It seems much more focused. Maybe that was what Steve was expecting. Yeah. But I want to tell you that I have enjoyed this much more, uh, both in kind of an intellectual sense, but it, some of the history has sort of made these principles <coughs> make more sense to me. And the tape from Bill W. was riveting. And I will never forget that for the rest of my life. So thank you. Yeah. So he's going to roll from now and for another 10 minutes, then we're going to have 30 minutes of open sharing, then we're going to have lunch, and then uh, we're going to be back, he's going to be back here at 1 to 4, or however much of that he wants to spend here with whoever feels guided uh, between you and God to be here, and then we'll have other amazing sessions after that tonight with us and God, and, and Roy, and uh, so that's, that's what the schedule is. Yeah, so I'm going to turn it back over to you for the next 10 minutes. Thank you. I well. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I once this simple attitude. That's in chapter the agnostics. Um, I got this thing. Uh, let's see here. Find control F. Okay, control F. Attitude. Control F. Next. Well, and uh, there's one. There's one that says. Um, there's one that says on the bottom of of 27 uh, it talks about maintaining a simple attitude. You talking about with this simple attitude you cannot fail? Is that the, yeah. the promise? Okay, I do have I do have the promises on here of of the big book. Um, and now I've got to find them in my little Windows Explorer. Okay. Uh, I could do that. Hold on, if I can find it first, I gotta find it. Let me see the promises. Yeah, promises all throughout the book. This I might want to project. This is a good way to close out the session. You know, if I yeah, this is courtesy of Diane V on the internet. The first promise is on the title page. You can recover from this thing, okay? And uh, let's see. Let's see. There is a solution. The promises. 
these are in Bill's story. Um, the promises associated with step two. Here they go. Here they go. This is coming on when it's flashing, right, right? Yeah, it's coming on. It's on already. Let's see. Yeah. Page 45. You will find a power greater than yourself which will solve your problem. Our own conception, however inadequate, pray whatever God you think's out there. Start with the meetings. Start with the meetings. Start with OA as a whole. Start with your food sponsor if you have to. Your own conception, however inadequate, is sufficient to make the approach and affect the contact. Okay? God will not make hard terms with you if you seek Him. The realm of the Spirit is broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly seek. It is open to all men. Okay? Upon a simple cornerstone of willingness, you can build an effective spiritual structure. These are all in chapter of the Agnostics. Huh? That page is uh, 47. You see the little page number quotations there? At the end of the sentence. You see at the end of the sentence there? Okay. We, all right, let's see. Where's that thing about the simple attitude? With this attitude, page 55. With this attitude, you cannot fail. Right here. See, that's on page 55. These are all promises associated with the second step. Steve, I think we clarified. Steve, we're going to give the regular step workshop structure. I'm just offering one to four as an optional additional thing. You're not going to miss anything. Okay. Sure. I want to apologize for everybody making amends for throwing that tantrum and disrupting the group. I'm sorry. No, it's totally understandable. Perhaps it's my fault and I didn't organize a little better. I just thought, you know, start with the AA history, which is how I like to start, because it's the, the roots of the thing that move on to the book workshop. And then when he said, well, one to four is open, I said, well, I'm not going to go out camping or riding horseback, but I'll offer any a step workshop to those who want it. But I'm going to continue with the regular process. You're not going to miss anything. You know, I got so much information here. I mean, I could speak for like four days straight on this shit. You know, my the whole reason I started lighted candles, they never even gave me enough time to tell my story. By the time I finished the liquid protein, I'm out of time. You know. Yeah. Find what this? It's uh, it's on the internet, and I can't remember where the hell the website is. I got it, but I, I'll give you anybody my email, and you can certainly uh, email me, and if I, I can track it down. Yes, did you have a question? There's a question. Oh, yeah, I got that on the computer. I have in Adobe PDF format the entire second edition. The, the Miracles of Mental Health are run World Service in New York forgot to renew the copyright on the big book, which to me is total poetic justice because who has a copyright on God? We got our spiritual principles from the Oxford group. It's not like AA came up with anything new. The key is one alcoholic talking to another, one compulsive overeater talking to another. 
Nobody owns these spiritual principles. So the fact that the big book went in the public domain, at least the second edition did, to me is total spiritual justice. I mean, you know, it's for the world. The book says our way of life has its benefits for all. Most of the people, and this is AA history again, you got to realize this book was written in the context of most of the people surrounding the alcoholics who wrote this book were not alcoholics. If you went to an Oxford group meeting on Wednesday night in Akron, you had Bill, you had Bob, you had Paul Stanley, you had Dick Stanley, you had Clarence Snyder, you had Paul Van Horn, you had Earl Treat maybe, and they were maybe 12, and then you had 50 other people, none of whom are alcoholics. And that's what and this book was written by people who were working spiritual principles, taught to them by people like Sam Shoemaker and Frank Bookman, who are not alcoholics. Ann Smith, the wife of Bob, not an alcoholic. Bill Wilson used to call her the mother of OA. She, or excuse me, AA. She would start the morning prayer. That was her thing. She would pick up a thing from the New Testament. They didn't have the big book. They were reading 1 Corinthians 13. They were reading Emmett Fox. They were reading Sermon on the Mount from the book of Matthew. They were reading The Upper Room, which was a Methodist publication. They were reading Around the World with Emmett Fox as a daily reader. They didn't have for today or, or you know, the daily reflections. Our way of life, we took these spiritual principles. They belong to the higher power. The fact that the big book is now, or at least the second edition, is in public domain, I just laughed. I just thought that was so totally okay with me. But the, but the, I, I, I am pissed off that they let the circle and triangle um, symbol go. Let me just quickly, that is on the desktop here. Hold on one second. Um, the circle and triangle. Yeah, it's where the hell? Down where? Up? Down. Down, down. The circle and triangle, which, in the way a friend of mine who was a DCM in the service, what happened was people were, it used to be on the insert of my, it's my original big, I have a first edition at home, a real one. I bought it on the internet in the aftermarket. It cost me a few hundred bucks. Um, the circle and triangle came in in the second edition. It's an ancient spiritual symbol. We stole it. You know, it represents body, mind, body, mind, and spirit. The, I think the yogis use it. The masons use it. Various spiritual people used it. In our big books, it used to be in the second edition and, and in my original third edition, which is falling apart at home, but I put it in like plastic. It's kind of a, a, a memento. They lost this symbol. It reflects unity, our fellowship, we attend meetings together, service, we take our commitments, the people are doing service, Richard, Melissa, the other people at this selling the literature, recovery, We're, I'm here basically to talk about the recovery process, which of course begins with a food sponsor and a food plan. I don't ignore the tools. It's not all, you know, it says we, you know, we got to have our head in the clouds but our feet on the ground. Recovery starts for the drunk when he puts down that drink. Most of the people who did that were hospitalized. They're real alcoholics. For us in our program, the recovery starts when I put down the fork, put down 
my sponsor says, stop eating ice cream for breakfast. That's crazy. Eat free hard-boiled eggs or whatever. Okay, that's how recovery starts. But eventually, it starts with me putting down the food. You see? That's like the drunk putting down the, the drink. That's how it starts. And the rest of the process is spiritual. So this triangle and circle thing has tremendous spiritual significance as a teaching tool. And with the book thumpers, I was talking to Z and, and some people who are familiar with the Big Book Awakening stuff. I think I have one of those things here. Uh, one of Sherman's books. I don't know where the hell it is now. I brought a bunch of them to the uh, retreat with me because um, I told the, the, the book thumpers, they lost this symbol, by the way, because they were putting it on coffee cups and medallions, private enterprises were going to these retreats and selling them as souvenirs in the conventions. And people loved them. But AA decided that, well, we own the copyright to it. So they started writing letters saying, take the, you know, we own the copyright. And some people just said, uh, no, we're not going to, we're going to continue to sell coffee mugs and medallions and t-shirts. And then AA made the mistake. See, the the book says we avoid argument and retaliation. The, the AA World Service Miracles of Mental Health made the mistake of sending them, like, well, maybe we'll have to talk to our lawyers about this. Then they get letters back. Well, I got news for you. This is an ancient Masonic symbol. If you want to contest the copyright to this, we'll be pleased to meet you in court. Next thing you know, they're threatening AA with lawsuits. And AA decides, oh, well, we can't argue. So then I will just will give up the symbol, which makes no sense to me. They, it's, it is public domain. It's an ancient symbol. Just put it in the big book, and if anybody else wants to put it on a coffee cup, who gives a shit? That's my attitude. But no, they started doing it. Next thing you know, they've abandoned it. It's useful as a teaching tool for newcomers because I'm going to start on the title page, and I'm going to show them that... Your first promise is you can recover from compulsing overeating. And then I'm going to show them that it's not just about unity, because if you're just going to meetings and not working a spiritual program, you're trying to recover on one-third of the triangle. Um, yes, your sponsor told you to take the timer commitment at Serenity Sunday. So now you're doing service, and that's two-thirds of the program. But if you've got no step work at the basis of your process... You're try what you're trying to do is you're basically trying to get abstinent and stay abstinent on the first half of the first step. You can put down the food and stick to a food plan. You will begin to lose weight. Are you recovered? In my experience, hell no. You know, you're going to have page 52 back in your life so quick it'll make your head spin. And everything you ate over is going to come right up. And if you don't make that contact with that power, recovered means I got the promises in my life. But it is an equilateral triangle. The book thumpers, you know, the book, the book, the book. And they, they, they stress this. It is an equilateral triangle. You can't just, you can't not show up in meetings. I, don't, I get so spiritual because I work the steps. I, I'm, now I'm going to go up on a mountaintop and have disciples. 
my duty is to be here with the compulsive overeaters, right? If I got, if I'm celebrating 33 years of abstinence and I've got some experience with this process and I've got a knowledge based on 33 years of experience and gone through the step process more than once, which I have, and I've had the obsession removed, where the hell do I belong? Besides a meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. It's an equilateral triangle. I still have a service commitment. I'm the grapevine guy at Serenity Sunday. To this day, I have a service commitment in OA. They asked me to do this. Driving to the boonies is not my favorite thing to do on rush hour on Friday night in Los Angeles. But I owe it to the program. So, okay, Richard, as long as you give me a room and, you know, can feed me some absent food. Okay, Richard, I'll do it. Part of my recovery process, I can't keep it unless I give it away. You see? I'm in all sides of the triangle. This is a very important teaching tool. So I do regret the miracles of mental health and world service. Let that go. It's, but, you know, you can draw it in. And so this big book, now the book says no further authentication in this book is necessary. Well, this is not meant to authenticate. Don't get confused. You don't need anything besides the big book. And what the book thumpers get nervous about is I remind them, and you just heard the tape, that you really don't even need the big book, but they freak out when they hear that. You can, you can transmit this message word of mouth. The guys who wrote the book didn't have the book. It was trans, you just heard, you just heard the message transmitted. Bill Wilson said, well, what kind of religion is this, Abby? He says, well, not much of a religion. You just get honest with yourself about your defect. You stop living alone. You, you share your inventory with somebody else. You make a confession. You go out to help people without any thought of compensation or prestige. And you pray to whatever God that is. And he says, that's, that's the heart of the AA. Yes, you had a question. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Matter of fact, I just wanted to uh, um, wrap that part of it up right okay, now. Okay, cool. Uh, and thank Roy for his presentation this morning. Right. And between now and noon, we'll have open sharing. We'll do a tag team. And then, uh, like I said, after, after lunch, we...